0: This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast.
1: The topics discussed in this podcast related to domestic abuse may be upsetting or triggering for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Fern Bellum, and welcome to Into You, the podcast where we put love under the microscope, shedding light on the do's don'ts and nightmare scenarios we find ourselves in while flirting with romance
0: there were violent attacks probably every couple of months which could look like anything from sort of a single punch to the whole attacking and grabbing at my face
1: we all come at dating from a slightly different angle but we are often faced with very similar situations to shape up to.
0: You can be gaslighted, you can be isolated, you can be scared of leaving for a whole complexity of reasons.
1: Why is it so hard for us to stick to our boundaries in relationships, do you think? Dating can uncover things about ourselves we never knew before. So without further ado, let's get into you. Happy to go? Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, brilliant. Welcome back to your favorite dating podcast, Into You. You've arrived just in time for the second in our three-part series on domestic violence as we hear the stories of its victims and learn how to avoid the trap of an abusive relationship. Last time, I spoke to Leslie Morgan Steiner, author of Crazy Love, who told me how hypnotizing abusive people can be. I was the perfect girl. He was the perfect boy. We were going to live happily ever after and never have any problems. And what happened when her Romeo turned into her worst nightmare.
0: It became clear over time that he was intent upon destroying me and killing me.
1: Today, I'll be speaking to TEDx speaker Andrew Payne about how he hid his abusive marriage for so long.
0: I'd often come in with sort of cuts on my face. And people would be like, hey, what's up with your face? And it was always down to a shaving incident.
1: And the moment when he considered fighting back.
0: I was being attacked with a candlestick. I'd had it slammed over my head. And I remember thinking, if another blow hits me, I'm in big trouble here.
1: But Andrew started our chat by explaining why he feels he may have been an easy target for manipulation and
0: control. I was a, a vicar's child and I had lovely parents. I had a real uh, deep respect for women. You know, I was always a bit of a gentleman. I liked helping people, but... I didn't really have um, boundaries as such. If you just said to me back then, what are your boundaries? I'd have been like, what? What are you talking about? That's not a great start. Mm. When I was in London, I'd moved there after I graduated. I was quite lonely. I hadn't met many people. London's a tough place if you don't know many people. So my ex-wife came along and she was well-connected. She was a social butterfly. And so, yeah, I, I fell for her. For me, people fall into abusive relationships generally from what I see in in one of two ways. Sometimes they are conned. I have a female friend of mine where literally her husband was was amazing and wonderful. And then literally they got married and then he was absolutely terrible Mm. and she had been conned. Whereas for me, my ex-wife was as she always was. She was a nightmare from the beginning. So I found myself early on in this complicated relationship, wanting to help her, feeling sorry for her, Abusive people are very good at this, uh, they kind of work at you so that you start to doubt your own thoughts and intuition and so that actually if they've attacked you, you end up apologizing to them for having provoked them into attacking you. We believe, don't we, that the good people are gritters, not quitters. If we keep trying and trying, then karmically one day we'll be rewarded. That tension between when to give up and when to hang in there is very difficult when we have a world that values perseverance in the way that it does and of course it's important perseverance but unchecked perseverance is dangerous.
1: And where did that unchecked perseverance lead you?
0: Before long I I was married to her and I genuinely believe when we're married then it'll be different or when we live in this house then when I'm earning more money then the when and then kicks in you always think a new change of circumstances is going to somehow transform this picture. I found myself married to her We moved to the south of France. And again, I felt when we moved to France, that's where she wants to live. It will all be amazing.
1: Was that her idea? Was that an isolating tactic?
0: I think it was a mix of things. I truly believed that my parents and family wanted me to stay as a little boy because that's what she encouraged me to believe. And so they weren't good for us as a couple to have them around. Mm -hmm. So her parents would come out all the time and were welcome, and mine would come out once a year for a couple of days, tops. And so it was used as an isolating tactic. But I think that genuinely she wanted to move to the south of France as well. And I can't say it was a hellish experience living in the south of France, running my own business from my garden shared on my computer. There are worse things one can do. Very true. She did isolate me from sort of friends and, and family, and she's very good at creating thoughts that means you stop trusting that other person that sets up barriers with other people. And that's obviously a common tactic that abusive people use.
1: Do you feel that, especially as a male, did you take more of that responsibility on and tell yourself, this must be my fault, I've got to fix this, I've got to protect her, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera?
0: Yeah, no, it all played to that, protecting, trying to make her better, wanting to sort of save her, I suppose, and, and fix her problems. And I was her attentive and loving and devoted carer and that definitely played into something of me of wanting to fix those problems i mean her outbursts weren't always violent a lot of the time it would be sort of screaming at me but like with her nose up to mine and when that's in public it's very embarrassing Mm. but there were violent attacks probably every couple of months which could look like anything from sort of a single punch. I mean, she's floored me before, hell of a punch, to sort of the whole attacking and grabbing at my face and biting, things that she's thrown at me as well. I used to work in recruitment when we were living in London uh, when we first met. I'd often come in with sort of cuts on my face and people would be like, hey, what's up with your face? And it was always down to a shaving incident. And I often wondered at the time, will anybody one day say, Andrew, you need some help with your shaving, (laughs) man? Someone has not taught you well because this is happening a lot, but it's no good, one ever I've did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so obviously to other people, there were signs. Was there a moment where you thought, hang on a minute, this isn't right. Maybe I shouldn't be in this relationship.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd been married to her for seven years and it was the summer of 2006. I messed up a DIY job some I'm rubbish at DIY. I mean, I, I do my best, but it's not a natural skill set. She stabbed me with a pencil. There's a lot of blood. The nib broke off the pencil in my arm and it wasn't pleasant. My neighbor could hear all the commotion and came into our house because in the south of France, no one locked their front doors. And she was a bit of a drinking buddy of my wife. And she's witnessed this whole scene. Later that evening, she'd sort of said to me in private, Andrew, do you realize this is domestic abuse? And that was the first time anyone had ever used those words. I was quite shocked. And at that time, I was going to counselling in order to be this better person, to man up. Because I was in counselling, sort of started a thought process that maybe it wasn't all my fault. But it was still a good year after that, that things then started to break down completely. But that definitely sowed a seed, being challenged in that way, gently and lovingly by a woman that I trusted. We need to be conscious if we feel that people might be struggling, that we can at least ask them. And of course, they might not be in a place to say yes This is a problem. They might be very defensive of their partner. I was my ex-wife's greatest defender for so long. You know, she's had a hard life. She's done so much to come as far as she's gone. She's trying really hard. All the other excuses that we tend to make up. That was the wake up call that started a train of thoughts in me in attacks that took place after that, whether they were violent physically or not. I was beginning to question, actually, is this right? Was this my fault? Mm. What am I going to do about this? What are my options? Which it always came back to the kids. By then we had daughters and I didn't want to leave my daughters in the hands of an abusive person. And I feared for my contact with my daughters if I left. But from that moment onwards, after that neighbor challenged me, I was definitely thinking about this isn't right. Should I put up with this? This isn't fair.
1: Before then, nobody had ever... No one
0: really, yeah, no one really, really directly challenged me. And I had my parents challenge me because of what I believed about them, that they wanted me to stay this little boy. I would have just believed it was part of their agenda against my wife. They wouldn't have been the right people because she'd done her gaslighting so well. But the neighbor was a good friend of my wife's and she was someone that I trusted as well. So she was kind of the right person at the right time.
1: In what ways do you think being in an abusive relationship is different from a male's point of view, Andrew?
0: I think there are some differences. I think some of the similarities are that you can believe it's your own fault. You can be gaslighted. You can be isolated. You can be scared of leaving for a whole complexity of reasons. I never feared violent reprisals when I left that relationship. Whereas I think for women there is an awareness, obviously it's a very dangerous time for a woman when she's leaving or even after she's left. Mm. I can't generalise actually because there are probably some men that do fear reprisals, but I personally didn't. After I left, something broke in me where if I had to, I would have defended myself against my ex-wife.
1: Did you ever consider that during the relationship, whether you should physically defend yourself if you were put in that position?
0: No, because a good man doesn't hit a woman And that was it. And that was just a non-starter. But right at the very end, it crossed my mind. There was one attack where it crossed my mind and I chose not to. I was being attacked with a candlestick. I'd had it slammed over my head. And I remember thinking, if another blow hits me, I'm in big trouble here. And she came for me again and I held her wrists and there was like pushing and shuffling. And I remember thinking I could just headbutt her and I didn't. And in the end, I pushed her onto a sofa and left fast. But I'm so glad I didn't because... Had her done, she'd have sported that broken nose on the school run without a shadow of a doubt. And also, how do I look my daughters in the eye? What's happened to mummy's nose? Oh, daddy's headbutted her. But like I say, in terms of access to the kids, criminal record, I would encourage a woman or a man to get out of there. You know, a physical response has to be an absolute last resort, mm-hmm. really. If your life's in danger, if your children's life is in danger. Because abusive people will twist and manipulate. You've just given them a gift.
1: How can that manipulation affect someone's relationship with their children?
0: In the work that I do, usually the issues are in the family courts. And that's the big fear that men face. If I leave, what about my kids? What about seeing them? all the spite that's gone into that abuse, that has to be transferred and a new game of psychological warfare will start. I think increasingly women face that fear now because things have changed in the family courts. There is more 50-50 shared parent, which is great. We need to crack down on parents who deliberately wear down the child's relationship with the other parent. And there are women and men that do that. There are women that particularly that do alienate their children from dad. And there are dads who use parental alienation as a sort of a way that about... So it's a really messed up situation in the family courts. And my heart goes out to all good, decent parents, men and women, who get screwed over by the men and women that mess it up and who are abusive. And so there are all these things that keep people stuck and frightened of making those changes.
1: How were you able to finally break free from that relationship?
0: My wife actually kicked me out. really broke my heart and I moved down the road because... The reason I agreed to go so willingly was the attacks were becoming more regular and I could see the impact on our daughters. They'd often wake up crying in their beds. My wife was screaming, shouting and commotion downstairs. But I really hoped that maybe with a break, something more beautiful would emerge in our relationship. Mm. But then I started to quite enjoy life. Like I was broken hearted, but then it's like, actually, when I have my kids, when I have my daughters, it's great. Like they're not on edge. I'm not on edge. This is amazing. This is wonderful. So, I hadn't realized at the time that my wife had kicked me out because she was having an affair with another guy. But when he finished with her and she wanted me back a few months later, I wasn't so sure now that I wanted to go back. (laughs) I knew the kids wanted me back. And at one stage, when I dropped them off after contact, she was actually on her doorstep on her hands and her knees in front of our girls, begging me to go back and be part of the family. And they were crying, and she was crying. I think it was fairly staged. That was so hard to say, actually, no, I'm going to go. I'm not coming back. It took me some time to be really clear in that as a decision. Mm. But that break gave me a taste of what life could be like without her in it. And I don't think I'd have had the courage to make that break because I think for a lot of people, men and women, your confidence is so shattered over time that making bold decisions that's just not in your mm. skill set anymore. Once upon a time, you were adventurous, you're not anymore. So I'm very grateful for that time. And if I passed the guy, I know who the guy is who she had the affair with. I've never yet shaken his hand. I mean, I don't live in France anymore, but if I did, I'd probably give him a man hug.
1: <laughs> did you a favor? <laughs> yeah. Andrew had made me think about how something which may seem on the surface like a reason to be heartbroken can sometimes turn out to be exactly the twist of fate we needed all along. I was intrigued to know if others had experienced similar relief in hindsight. So as is the protocol of most scientific studies in 2021, I put out a post on social media. And here are a selection of my favorite answers. The sentence reads: “I was glad my relationship ended when I realized. dot dot, dot finish the sentence. Simon, how much extra money I had to spend on myself instead of her. (laughs) Buy yourself a few more treats there, Simon. Harriet, being with the wrong person was making me miss out on the right one. Good way of thinking of it. Switch of perspective there. Peter, I had done nothing wrong after all, a very empowering realisation, Peter. And Jane, I was glad my relationship ended when I realised how much less dirty laundry there was lying around. Oh yes, love does tend to encourage both literal and metaphorical dirty laundry to accumulate, unfortunately, I found Jane. Listening to Andrew's story unfold, I was struck by how easy it is to see the end of a relationship as a simple choice between whether to stay or whether to go, without considering any of the other factors at stake. Andrew's fears of what walking away might mean for him and his children left me wondering how easy or possible it is, even after you've made that all-important decision to leave, to shake those sinister scars from your past and begin to move forward and start to rebuild your life.
0: This isn't going to sound very motivational. No one's going to book me to say this because it it sounds too hard, but I look at it, the the grass is greener on the other side of the hill, but in order to get there, you have to be prepared to crawl through the mud and the slime Mm -hmm. and you will crawl and it will be horrible, but get on your hands and knees and do the crawling because the grass is greener and I am now blissfully married to a truly extraordinary woman We have three small boys under eight who are amazing. It's great. One of my daughters lives with us as well. And so the grass is greener, but it's not without its battles Mm. and its difficulties. I can't say that life's fully rosy. And my ex-wife certainly worked to manipulate and manipulate as much as she could and still does to this day as much as she can do. You can repair after an abusive relationship and then find something really beautiful and wonderful and blissful. And it's great. It's great coming home and never being scared about what's waiting for me at home.
1: Andrew, what would you say are some of the common traits of an abusive relationship if somebody is listening and they think they might be getting into something or part of something?
0: I think feeling like you're constantly treading on eggshells is a red flag. Now, to some degree, you know, if my wife was going through a particularly stressful time and I had a contentious issue to share with her, I might choose my moment and how I said that. It's where you're treading on eggshells on everything Mm -hmm. it's where if you fancied a Chinese and she or he wanted Indian you wouldn't dare say actually I want Chinese Mm -hmm. we had Indian last time if you feel like you can't voice your opinions and your thoughts Mm -hmm. and you're always having to swallow what you would naturally say that is a red flag why is that if it gets to the stage where like it got to with me where I broke my wife's favorite wine glass and the horror that I felt when I broke that She was out at the time, thankfully. Mm. And I then smuggled it into the neighbor's bin so it wouldn't be found. And then when asked several days later, just said, oh, I don't know, I haven't seen it, love. I don't know what you're talking about. If that's where you've got to, Mm. in order to survive possibly an abusive relationship, If you yourself are becoming lying and manipulative, red flag. If you can't be honest and clear with someone, definitely red flag. If they're belittling you and, and patronising you. Sometimes in, early on in a relationship, you find the boundaries for where humour and banter lies. And the other person may get it wrong and I may get it wrong. Mm-hmm. If you can't have that open conversation that then sets those boundaries that are then respected so that the humour is something you can all enjoy possible red flag doesn't definitely mean it's a red flag it just means it's possible you need to be aware of it
1: why is it so hard for us to stick to our boundaries in relationships do you think
0: when we stick to our boundaries it's not easy actually if we stick to our boundaries sometimes we'll have to do things that feel upsetting and painful but our boundaries they're like a lighthouse excuse me for sounding too cheesy but when the seas are calm and the skies are blue it doesn't matter so much if you lose sight of them when the seas get choppy you lose sight of your lighthouse, you get shipwrecked. And so you've got to think about your boundaries. You've got to understand what those are and you've got to act on them, even in your heart. You see, there's so much stuff, isn't there? Oh, follow your heart, rubbish. No, don't do that. (laughs) Weigh up what your heart's saying and weigh up what your brain is saying and what logic says as well. Oh, go with your own opinion. Don't worry about what anyone is saying. Rubbish. Talk to trusted people that you know love you and have a good interest at heart and take a view on it. My daughter's 16 now. When she was 14, she got a boyfriend who was like 16. He was the cool kid at the skate park. Edward, really handsome, great. His tricks. All the girls loved him. She goes to girls school. Everyone's really jealous of her. Mm-hmm. She plays the piano. She goes to theatre group, which she was before COVID. Mm-hmm. And he was becoming belittling of, of that, taking the mick out of her, becoming controlling, telling her what she should wear. So she just dumped him, got rid of him. She didn't want to because she liked the kudos, but she recognized that this was not acceptable and she just dumped him there and there. He couldn't believe it, he's never been dumped before. But sometimes if we're going to have boundaries, we need to make difficult decisions.
1: I have to say, we love cheese on this show, so you're more than welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Cheesy uh, moment there. But uh, no, it's so true. so easy to say until emotions and hormones and everything else come into play and then it just goes out the window, doesn't it?
0: In dating relationships, you have boundaries, and then you make difficult decisions if you have to.
1: What are some of the things that people might believe that maybe aren't true?
0: My reading of the facts, as far as we have them, is that domestic abuse affects more women than men with the data that we currently have. But words like overwhelming majority are a nonsense, in my opinion, because a third of victims, as we know, are men. Some of that will be parents. So some of that one-third and two-thirds will be parents who treat each other beautifully, but their child is abusing them. And that's gone on as, as domestic abuse. And we know that child perpetrated abuse is massively on rise.
1: What do you think is the biggest thing that needs to change?
0: For me, we need to understand that as far as we know, probably the greater proportion of victims are women, but not by a lot, that there are other faces of domestic abuse, the LGBT community, the elderly, parents abused by children. But because men generally won't secure convictions, partly because when they come out of the relationship, they're treading on eggshells to protect their contact with their kids. And partly because parents are not going to get convictions on their kids. There are not a lot of stories in the national press about these other faces of domestic abuse, because the national press will only report on stories where there is a secure conviction. I understand why they do that. But therefore, the statistics are more even than you think. Mm. But the press reporting will generally report on women abused by men, because they've got the convictions in place. So it's not about taking the spotlight away from women. It's not about taking funding away from women. It's about increasing the funding pot overall and then sharing that out. And actually, so in the recent domestic abuse bill, when they asked groups to come and give testimony, there were no men's abuse groups that were asked to give testimony. That's a disgrace, because it's not like it's 2%, it's a third. I want to see a broader discussion. And the other thing I think to bear in mind is we know that there's a lot of under-reporting. We know that the stigma and the shame around underreporting is high. And, and I would just say what shocked me from my TEDx talk is just how many women have contacted me directly saying it happened to my brother, my son, my partner. He didn't report at the time, but it really affected him.
1: One of the things that I loved that you said is bitter people make stupid decisions. What do you mean by that?
0: The more bitter you get, you just become negative and grumpy to the people that you're with and you don't appreciate your life around you but also i do mean it specifically and i see this with some of the guys that reach out to me where they're struggling in the family courts they have been in abusive relationships they've come out they're like having a nightmare in the family courts they'll show you the text they've just texted back and you're like oh dude you, you did not just send that what are you doing with your newfound freedom and you know you're now a man of courage and you've just been a complete idiot and so I think if you can stand back and, and genuinely get to a point of forgiveness, of seeing the abuse as a horrible behavior, but that person is probably broken and in pain in some way, it may be a mental health issue, but not always. The more you can see it like that, then when you're facing ongoing issues around access to children, you're more likely to be more sensible and more logical rather than emotional. And that's what I mean. And I also mean it in terms of future relationships. So when I came out of the relationship, I was like, you know, no woman's ever gonna treat me like that again. <laughs> if I ever find another wife, we're gonna get prenups, we're gonna get this, we're gonna get that. You know, actually I met a wonderful woman and she would have married me with prenups, mm-hmm. but, cause we've joked about it and laughed about it. But I'm so glad that by the time I met her, I wasn't that bitter person anymore because that would, it would just have been ridiculous having prenups and <laughs> she's brilliant. Trying to get to a point of forgiveness and inner peace will help you in the way that you interact with that abusive person if you have to keep interacting with them if you've got kids. It will help you in a future relationship and it will help you in the other decisions that you make around your health, around your job because you're not consumed by bitterness which leads to self-pity and negative thoughts which is just not helpful.
1: What would you say is the hardest part about being in an abusive relationship?
0: Ooh... I think there were different times where you could ask me that question through the seven or eight years. The answer to that question would probably have changed. Mm -hmm. A reference coming home and, and, and never knowing what's waiting. And I think that unpredictability, knowing that she could just explode at any time. So I became an obsessive planner, trying to think about anything that might trigger her today. And how do I get around that? The obsessive planning means that you never rest, truly. You're always on edge, even in the good times. You'll always sacrifice what you want. You'll always be silent. In the times that I consciously recognised I was doing it, that was very hard. Towards the end, it was the fact that we had kids. If we hadn't had kids, I'd have just walked away. An embarrassment as well, particularly when we were living in London, and a lot of the violence was really visible because I was out in the workplace. See, when we lived in France, I worked for myself in my garden shed. If I had bruises and scars, I could just hide away for a few days and I don't need to answer any awkward questions about, hey, dude, what's the bruise? I felt ashamed that I couldn't get a handle.
1: But I mean, it's scary what you've just said there in a way, because you felt better when you could hide away and you could kind of isolate yourself from other people because they might ask awkward questions and things. What advice would you give to people if they feel that they may be in an abusive relationship?
0: It's trying to find someone outside that you can talk to, that could be direct with you, that you could have that trust, that open communication, a trusted friend outside the relationship because your mind can really be played within an abusive relationship and you need an outside voice that is going to help you. And obviously an abusive person is just going to twist anything that you say. I think marriage guidance, you can't negotiate or counsel with with an abusive person, so don't even bother. You, You yourself could get some counseling on your own. We need to do more work with people around boundaries, understanding what our personal boundaries are, where we stand. Let's just get used to standing up for our boundaries in the little things in life, in our commitments to ourselves as well as others. Because once you get used to mastering your boundaries in the small things in life, then it's a lot easier to use them in the bigger things in life. So we need to start from very early age with young people to really understand boundaries, to work with them and use them so that when they're really put to test on the difficult things like our intimate relationships, difficult things, the big things, we already know how to do this.
1: And what can we all do to improve the situation, you know, everyone? Is it, is it just about awareness and learning the signs?
0: Anybody that's watching this that has a job, you could ask for your employer's policies on domestic abuse and violence. Do they even have one? They don't. They probably should. If they do have one, you could give a read of it. Is it inclusive? That's just a little thing. And have that open conversation with the HR department about that policy because it shows that you care and it matters.
1: Just finally, Andrew, what did you learn from this relationship, either about yourself or just in general?
0: Coming out of the relationship, I learned I'm a nice guy, but I needed to toughen up. And in life, you can be nice and tough, but You have to be clear about what you'll tolerate, what you'll compromise on, what you'll sacrifice on, and that it's okay to have things that you won't compromise on. If you're with someone that you really like and you're clashing on all these things, it's okay to walk away from that relationship and find someone that actually you really do connect with and you've got that real soul connection with. And it's not wrong to finish a relationship. It's not wrong to say, and I've had enough of this. And I'm a lot more decisive now about where i'm going where i'm going what i'm doing whereas before i just let life happen to me
1: now you're the steerer of your own ship
0: i am for the most part i mean i have little children so i'm not always
1: they take over sometimes Yeah. (laughs) yeah andrew had reminded me of the importance of being aware and standing by your own needs if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse help is available there are links in the show notes for resources in canada and the uk Next time, I'll be speaking to psychologist and researcher Dr. Dina McMillan and finding out what she's learned about why people become abusive. In interviewing more than 700 abusers in depth, God, 90% either had an abuse
0: dynamic going on in the household or they were severely neglected by their primary caregiver.
1: And what we can all do to protect ourselves and those we love from falling foul of domestic violence in the future everyone should know
0: these tactics even if they are happily in a relationship because they are connected to other people
1: as always i want to hear from you what are some of your boundaries when it comes to romantic relationships and how do you hold yourself accountable to standing by them leave me a comment and let me know For now, though, you've been listening to Into You with me, Fern Lullum. Special thanks to my guest, Andrew Payne, whose links will be in the show notes. Also to Joshua Holland and Sam Robinson for technical support. And to the manager of AMI, Andy Frank. Leave me your feedback at feedback at ami.ca. If you liked what you heard, make sure to search for Into You on your favorite or indeed any podcast distributing platform and subscribe for more episodes coming your way on the first Thursday of every month. The easiest way to start your month off right.
0: This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.